Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sharing the Journey podcast. This month, I am here with Rachel. I met Rachel through her work with Johnny and Friends Ministries, which I'm sure she'll share some about. Um, But to start with, Rachel, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you live, your current family, and then we'll go on from there. Okay. I am Rachel Olstead, and I live in Phoenix, Oregon. Uh, You may have heard of Phoenix recently in the news. September 8th, we had a big firestorm come through, and our our little town was pretty devastated um, in in the two... Two and a half towns that were affected, uh, they lost 2,300 homes, uh, individual families lost homes, and then about 100 businesses. So my community, while my house was spared, my community is still uh, recovering from that, and it's going to be a couple years um, probably recovering from that. That's just a little side note. I, so I live in Phoenix, Oregon with my husband, Brent. We've been married for 33 years. And uh, we've got three children. Our oldest son is 30. His name is Bryce, and he is affected by disability. He has spina bifida and autism and a couple other things. Um, And then we have a 26-year-old son named Abel who uh, recently moved back home. Um, It's harder for uh, young adults to get established uh, these days with coronavirus and the economy and all that sort of thing. So he's back home for a season. And then our 19-year-old daughter, Phoebe, uh, is living at home, too. So we have a full house of all adults now. Okay, so we're probably going to spend most of the time talking about disability stuff, but let's go back just because we can and have you tell us a little bit about your life growing up, your family, what faith influences there might have been, stuff like that. Sure. Uh, My dad uh, was a pastor, so I grew up in a pastor's home, and um, I'm the youngest of four siblings, and I have this memory of my older three siblings um, forcing me on my knees by my bed to uh, accept Jesus as my Savior so I wouldn't go to hell. And so being the stubborn little child that I was, I adamantly refused to accept Jesus as my savior. And I was probably about four or five. And I remember uh, my mom was teaching a Sunday school class and she, she asked if anybody, you know, she was teaching about heaven and did anybody want to ask Jesus to be their savior and, and uh, so they could live in heaven forever. And I was, well, my nickname, my dad had nicknamed me obstinate child. So that gives you a little bit of, um, insight into what my personality was like and my my character traits so anyway so I immediately said to my mom nope not me I don't want to and I remember it was about a two-week struggle that I had with the Holy Spirit I remember internal conversations um like no I don't want to no I don't want to okay yes I do yes I do no I don't want to and I remember that struggle and my mom's my mom said she remembers me just going around blurting out, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to heaven. And then I remember one day, my dad had an office at our, in our home. And I remember one day I broke down crying and I went into my dad's office and I said, I do, I do. And uh, so my dad helped me uh, lead me to the Lord. And so um, that just shows, I think, how the Holy Spirit can speak to a child's heart. Um, 
you know, even, even though I was young, uh, four or five, <clears throat> I, I really believed that was the Holy Spirit working on me and, uh, and, uh, you know, conquering, calling him to, calling me to himself and conquering my, my obstinacy and uh, my strong will. And, uh, but my mom always says that I have a strong will because of um, my oldest son, Bryce, with disabilities that I've needed to fight for his, his needs and his rights and things over the years. So anyway, I was raised in a uh, Christian home, grew up ministering alongside my family, uh, doing summer Bible camps and vacation Bible schools and Sunday schools and things like that. Um, interesting. I do have a um, kind of a heritage of disability ministry uh, through my family. Before I was born, um, my mom and dad were um, kind of like circuit riding preachers. It's hard to explain where they would go to different churches, you know, on, on a circuit. So I guess it was like a circuit riding preacher. Anyway, so there was one church where a, a local boys group home for boys affected by disability uh, they were coming to that church and the church was not happy about it. And so my mom said, I will teach these boys a class. And so she, she started teaching this class for these boys with intellectual disabilities, you know, way back in the fifties, um, early sixties. And um, then when I was in junior high and high school, my mom started a I want to call it like a charm school or a finishing school or something like that for these young ladies with Down syndrome. And it was in our home. And um, so I would help her uh, do this. So we teach them, you know, how to file their fingernails, how to do hygiene, how to, you know, curl their hair, stuff like that. Um, and then my mom would do a Bible study for them. So I was introduced to disability ministry without really understanding it or knowing it was just something we did. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, I started teaching my first Sunday school class at my dad's church. Um, it was the two and three-year-olds, the preschoolers. And I had a little boy in my class who had um, Prater Willie syndrome, and he was also a spinal cord injury um, victim. He was, um, you know, abused as a child, and that, and that's why he was in my um, he was disabled. Anyway, he was in my class, and he was just one of the kids, and and uh, I taught him and, and uh, it was just kind of a fact of life that people with disabilities were included uh, in our church and in our family. So that was a, that's kind of a neat heritage that my, my parents, especially my mom gave us. Oh, and my mom, uh, so my parents ran a summer Bible camp and my mom integrated the, the ladies in the charm school that she did in our home into our uh, summer Bible camp. So it was the first time integration had happened. That was in the 70s. So that was kind of, um, it's kind of a neat heritage that I have through her, never really realizing that my own life would be affected by disability one day. So that's pretty much my growing up years. I attended Biola University uh, where I met my husband, Brent. Um, we both studied music and I uh, got a degree in education, taught for a few years. And then uh, we had our son, Bryce. So tell me about Bryce. Okay, I was, uh, he was our first child. Um, I was just 25 and um, 
the pregnancy was going along as usual. And uh, then I had an incident where I needed to go in over the weekend and do an ultrasound. I had not had an ultrasound yet. Um, you know, it was back in the day where they said, do you want one or do you not want one? And I was like, nah, I don't need one. Um, so anyway, I had to go in over the weekend and have this ultrasound and I was probably about seven and a half months pregnant. And uh, the ultrasound technician just kept doing the ultrasound like really long, he kept asking me questions. And, and I was so young and naive, it didn't dawn on me yet that something was amiss. And, you know, so I was still in my happy little bubble. Um, it was a holiday weekend, I remember. And so it was a Tuesday morning. I was back at school teaching. I was in the teacher's lounge before school started. And it, over the announcement said, Mrs. Olstad, you have a phone call. And so I went to this little phone booth thing and took the call. And it was my um, obstetrician. And he's, he told me over the phone, uh, bless his heart. <laughs> he said, your son has, uh, or your baby has uh, a neurotube neural tube defect it's quite severe and then he starts listing off all these things and that um, I needed to uh, you know have some further testing done and so that was that was the way I was told and uh, I you know kind of broke down crying uh, my principal took over my class uh, for that day and I went over to Brent's work and we went from there we uh we lived in Reno, Nevada at the time, uh, but they sent us to, at that time in Reno, they were, our, so our son was diagnosed prenatally with spina bifida. And in, in Reno, in those days, they were still giving the option of um, delivering and letting die uh, babies with spina bifida. Um, that was 1990. So that's, that's kind of a hard thing to realize was still happening that late, uh, but they also gave us the option of going um, to Sacramento, to UC Davis. So we started going over there. We had a lot of testing done. Um, the prognosis we were given was very poor that if um, Bryce survived birth, he would live in a vegetative state. He was uh, that severe, that bad, according to their, their uh, studies that they'd done in the, the ultrasound and such. So. Anyway, they ended up, we ended up having him delivered by C-section in Sacramento at UC Davis, and they delivered him four weeks early. They were weighing, um, wanting to deliver him to decrease his brain damage, but making sure his lungs were healthy enough to survive birth. So anyway, he was born there. Um, he spent most of his first year in the hospital, more in than out of the hospital. Uh, we've done heart monitors, IVs, oxygen, um, you know, you name it, he's done it. He's had more than 35 surgeries in his life. Um, but uh, he definitely is not in a vegetative state. Uh, he is paralyzed uh, from T8 down. Uh, he does have some intellectual disabilities. Uh, he has autism. Uh, we would label it as high functioning autism if you have to put a label on it. He has a severe speech disorder, uh, some, a lot of medical things that uh, go with it, but he is now, he's going to be 30 years old this week and uh, we are celebrating his life and uh, God has preserved him and uh, he is a delightful young man with a great sense of humor and uh, I think everybody ought to get to know him.
Yeah, I've gotten to know him a little bit at camp. And I think my funniest memory is <clears throat> my um, buddy for the week was trying to open a ketchup packet or mayonnaise packet and she couldn't get it done. And he was just sitting there laughing. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he has a great sense of humor and he loves uh, slapstick humor. So like if she had sprayed ketchup everywhere, he would have thought that was hilarious. <laughs> She wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, let's just jump into Johnny and Friends and how you found out about Johnny and Friends and your work with them. And um, then we'll sure. bounce to wherever else I decide to go next. Okay. <laughs> so uh, when Bryce was born in 1990, uh, it wasn't too much longer. We lived in Reno, Nevada. I was listening to the local Christian radio station, KNIS, and um, it was announcing that Johnny and Friends was going to have a, a family retreat for families affected by disability in um, Cannon Beach, Oregon. And I kind of tucked that away in the back of my mind. Bryce was too medically fragile at that point for us to think about going to a family retreat. But I tucked that back in the back of my mind as something that I would like to do at some point. I, I read Johnny's autobiography when it came out, saw her movie, heard her speak when I was at Biola and you know she came to chapel and spoke. And, and so I was oh, cool. aware of Johnny Erickson Tata and the ministry that she had to people with disabilities. Um, so I tucked that in the back of my head. So uh, fast forward about five years, we had moved to Oregon uh, to be closer to family. And, uh, oh, this is a side note. The elevation in Reno is about 4,500 feet. And Bryce had to be on oxygen. And we finally figured out that if we moved to a lower elevation, he could get off the oxygen. So we chose Oregon where we had some family and we moved there and sure enough at, I think we're at 1200 feet or something like that where we live, he was off oxygen immediately. So that was a, a very huge bonus of moving to Oregon. So after we'd been in Oregon a year or so, I thought, and Bryce had his health had, had improved so much. I thought, wow, I'm ready to go to this camp in Oregon. So I, you know, this is before we had computers and internet everywhere in our lives. And so, I mean, they existed, we just didn't have one yet. So I called uh, Johnny and friends down in uh, Southern California. And I said, I heard about this camp you have in Oregon and we live in Oregon. What can you tell me about it? And they said, oh, we don't have it in Oregon anymore. We have it, we have one at, um, out of Santa Cruz in California at Mission Springs. And so we got the information on that and we applied for it. And I can tell you that I was super, super nervous because Bryce was just coming out of being medical, medically fragile. And so I didn't think they have at family retreat, they have volunteers called short-term missionaries. We call them STMs for short. And I was not going to leave Bryce with an STM without me there because of his needs. Um, they were too, too high and I was too scared, but you know, we were going to go to this camp and he was going to be with me the whole time. And we had our second son, Abel, by that time. Um, he was not yet a one year old. He was still an infant. And so <clears throat> we didn't know how we were going to pay for it. It was, but we, 
we signed up and we were going to go. Well, God took miraculously took care of the uh, payment. Um, Brent has an aunt or had an aunt. She's passed away since then, who out of clear blue sky uh, sent us a check for no reason that covered our cost for camp perfectly. And so that was kind of a confirmation that, yes, this is where we were supposed to be going. And then when we drove into camp, this family comes running up to our van to welcome us. And it was a family that Brent and I had um, known when we lived in Whittier, California, shortly after we were first married down there at Biola. And we had gone to church with this family and we had been in their home Bible study inside their home. And they came running up and, and the wife, you know, they were like, oh, hi, Allstats, hi, Allstats. So we knew them. And the wife said, I'm Bryce's STM. Well, the wife uh, was the uh, charge nurse at Children's Hospital, Orange, Orange County. And so it was just like God said, this person can take care of your son better than you can. So I'm going <laughs> to give you a week of respite and you can trust me and you can trust. Oh, I'm going to get choked up thinking about this. And you can trust this STM. And so it was God just wrapping his arms around us, telling us, this is where you're supposed to be. And I want you to experience a great week. And so, um, well, let me back up a little bit. My husband, Brent, uh, was a worship pastor um, at a church in Reno and then in Oregon when we moved to Oregon. So I was a pastor's wife. And we were doing pretty good spiritually uh, with Bryce. We were tired. We were exhausted. Um, but we thought we were doing pretty good. So we get to camp and we start experiencing what camp had to offer for us. And we, we were around other families that were just like ours. And we realized it was something we needed, even though before we went, we didn't know that we needed it. And God spoke into our hearts and our lives and our family and really changed the trajectory of our lives um, because of that week at camp. So <clears throat> that was in 1996. I think that that was our first camp that we attended. And uh, so we kept going back. And a couple years after we had been there, uh, we Brent heard about one of the programs of Johnny and friends called Wheels for the World. And he thought, I would really like to be involved in Wheels for the World. So he became what's called a chair core rep or something like that. What he what he what Wheels for the World does is they collect used wheelchairs and other mobility equipment in the United States, and then they send it to um, correctional facilities where the inmates restore the equipment to like new um, equipment, and then it's shipped over seas to developing countries, um, all sorts of, you can look it up at johnnyandfriends.org, uh, the Wheels for the Road World program. Anyway, so it's shipped over to developing countries and then Johnny and Friends sends teams of wheelchair seating specialists, uh, wheelchair mechanics, occupational therapists, physical therapists, things like that. And then they partner with a local ministry or a local church in the developing country and they do these outreaches where they give a wheelchair away for free to an individual who needs it. But not only do they just give the wheelchair away, but they individualize it for that person. Uh, so the seating specialist uh, will 
you know, make the, make the seat fit perfectly, things like that. So it's really a personalized ministry. And then they also give the gospel of Jesus Christ at the same time. Um, and so it's a really powerful and effective ministry. So anyway, so Brent starts collecting wheelchairs. This is like 1998, maybe. Um, starts being a wheelchair collector. So he starts collecting wheelchairs. He goes to a couple of conferences down at the Johnny and Friends headquarters. And then he decides he wants to go to, on a Wheels for the World trip as a wheelchair mechanic because he's always worked on Bryce's wheelchair. And so that qualifies him as being a wheelchair mechanic. So in 2001, he went to Poland on his first Wheels for the World outreach and uh, just really fell in love with the ministry and with the people of Poland. I think he went to Poland six times over the years. Wow. He's also been to Romania, the Ukraine, and Thailand on Wheels for the World trips. Um, so he, it's just really a ministry that he enjoys doing, um, being part of the team, seeing the lives changed. It's really something that he really loves. So we're doing this Wheels for the World ministry and we're attending camp at Mission Springs in Santa Cruz. And by this time we have another child, um, our daughter Phoebe. And we're just driving home from camp one year and we're like, and we, by the way, we've invited friends from Oregon um, to be volunteers, short-term missionaries and families we know affected by disability to go down to camp there. So we've had a, quite a few people from Oregon going down to camp there. And so we're driving home from camp one, one year and, and uh, we're debriefing, you know, talking about what happened and, you know, our ideas and our goals in life and all that. And, and we thought it'd be really fun to have like a get together in Oregon of the people who'd been to camp at Mission Springs, kind of like a barbecue in our backyard. And so we just started talking about it and planning it. And uh, I think this was in 2002. And <clears throat> we kind of talked to Johnny and Friends headquarters about it. And somehow or other, it turned in, it, it changed from being a backyard barbecue into this whole, we live in what's called the Rogue Valley, into this whole valley-wide event. Johnny and Friends sent us their mailing list, I think from Redding all the way up to Eugene, Oregon on the I-5 corridor and sent out invitations to all these people. And so we had an all day event with kind of speakers and entertainment and workshops and dinner. And um, we had over a hundred people attend. And so that was the, um, the way that Johnny and Friends Oregon, it used to be called Johnny and Friends Southern Oregon. Now it's called Johnny and Friends Oregon. That's the way that it was birthed uh, out of a barbecue in our backyard idea. It kind of grew from there. <laughs> and so, uh, our, that was our first event in 2002, and then our next event uh, in 2003 was called Sometimes Miracles Hide. It was a luncheon for moms affected by disability, kind of a fancy luncheon for them. And then we did a carnival for the kids at the same time so they wouldn't have to get childcare. So that event, Sometimes Miracles Hide, has happened every single year from two, since 2003 until this year because of coronavirus, uh, we weren't able to have it. We did an online event instead of the, uh, the actual event. So that was kind of sad that we didn't get to have it this year. But from there, um, you know, we grew, we, we got an advisory board, uh, we increased the events we did, the outreaches we did. 
speaking in churches, teaching workshops, um, helping churches become disability friendly. And then in 2010, uh, we started our own family retreat in Oregon up at uh, Twin Rocks Family Retreat in Rockaway Beach, Oregon. And then I can't remember what year it was. We went to having two weeks of camp because we'd grown uh, so much. So camp was pretty incredible. I know we met you, Shelly, at Mission Springs. Yep. What year was that? 2000, was it seven or eight? Okay. And I know you interviewed me then too. I did. I probably still have it somewhere. <laughs> I can see this. Anyway, so we got to know you then. And then when you called, uh, you wanted to come up to come down because you're in Washington yep. to our Oregon camp. I recognized your voice because it is a radio gold voice and your laugh <laughs> recognizable. And I remembered you right away. And I was so glad that we could have you at our camp at uh, Twin Rocks and uh, loved it there. Now, um, I do want to say that uh, September 8th of this year, the same day that the fires went through Phoenix, uh, was our last day with Johnny and Friends Oregon. Um, we love the ministry. It's been part of our life for so long, but we feel like God has called us uh, on and uh, to let other people continue the ministry while we kind of move on uh, to a new season in our life. Uh, my husband's a musician, so he's kind of put his music on hold for the last 20 years. And he'd like to get back into that, uh, composing and playing and things like that. And then um, I'd like to be free to help uh, family members as they age, I'd be available to them. Uh, but then we're also open to whatever God has for us as far as disability ministry goes. We're still available. We're still, uh, you know, available to teach workshops and consult and, uh, we're excited to see what God has for us next. Um, as far as disability ministry goes, um, I'm trying to think how I even want to ask this. Where would you like to see it go? Like, what would you like to see? Um, sure. I think I kind of know what you mean. Yeah, I, I kind of know what I mean, too. So <laughs> when we first started... Um, making entry into churches with Johnny and friends and trying to get them on board with disability ministry. It was a very hard sell uh, because um, churches look at disability ministry as one more program, one more thing, one more thing that's going to cost, it's going to take volunteers. Um, and so it was a, it was kind of a long, very long process. Um, I would say like, from point of entry to a church, it could take 10 years for them to get a working disability ministry. But in the last few years, we've seen things change and um, open up and seeing mindsets and hearts and attitudes change where I think churches now aren't really looking at disability ministry as a program, but more as a, an intricate, in I can't say that word, intricate, is that correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Part of their church, like kind of the fiber uh, that makes up the whole, or a fiber that makes up the whole weave of the church. Mm -hmm. So instead of having a disability ministry, what 
what I would like to see, and I see more churches doing that now, is how does disability ministry impact every single ministry that our church does? So for instance, if we do a fall festival or if a church does a fall festival for kids every year, they would have a disability ministry lay, I can't say this word either, help me out, liaison? Is that yep. how you say it? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Come alongside and help whoever's in charge of that fall festival make it disability friendly. Um, or if you're having a ladies Bible study, but a mom can't go because she can't find a sitter for her special needs child, then this disability ministry person would come alongside whoever's leading this Bible study and help make sure this mom can attend. Or, um, or like if a dad's breakfast or if a men's breakfast is meeting at a certain time in a certain location, but dad can't make it because he has to get home to shower his son before he goes to work, then the disability ministry liaison could um, recommend, you know, a, a restaurant closer to this dad's house and maybe a, a half hour earlier or something like that so that everyone can participate. So it's not like it's, it's a separate individual program, but it's seeing how disability ministry uh, runs through the entire church. It's kind of hard to explain. Are you kind of getting what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a separate ministry where, you know, at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, people with disabilities meet for a Bible study. It's, it's just part of a church's makeup in that disabilities are considered in all parts of the church's life. Mm -hmm. That's where I'd like to see it go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have, um, well, we, there used to be a program, I'll, I'll probably edit this out, but there used to be a program that created um, Bible studies for the blind within churches, mainly Lutheran churches. It was a Lutheran-based ministry, and, and they never really tried to incorporate the blind attendees into the rest of the church. Uh -huh. It was more like a ministry from the church to the blind, and and it wasn't a bad thing, but I kept wondering why aren't they, you know, why aren't, why isn't it a focus of these centers to help get the people involved, get the blind people involved in the church? Because that's right. And yeah. I think, I think those things were needed as a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. um, but I think things have progressed enough that everybody realized that integration is ideal <laughs> if, if possible. And so we all need to be integrated into the body of Christ together. That's what I love about the Johnny and friends family retreats. A lot of people like to say Johnny and friends family retreat is a piece of heaven on earth. I think um, I've said that, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I like better. I like to say better is it is a picture of what the church on earth should be. Mm -hmm. of everybody, disabilities, not disabilities, all working together, all worshiping together, all playing together, all eating together. And you're not really saying who's disabled or who's not disabled. Everybody's just there and, and uh, work. it works together. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what the church should be, how everybody's using their spiritual gifts, whether you're disabled or not. 
and that you're all ministering to each other at the same time. I think that's it's a beautiful picture of what the church on earth should be. Cool. And then in heaven, it's going to be even better than that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, just a, a few closing questions, personal faith type questions. So um, who, in besides Johnny Erickson, who is inspiring your faith journey lately? Well, I really like Nancy Guthrie's Bible study lessons. Um, G-U-T-H-R-I-E. I first heard of her through a Johnny and Friends TV episode. By the way, on johnnyandfriends.org, you can find these TV episodes online. They don't make them anymore, but they're still there and you can watch them for free. Uh, Nancy Guthrie had two children uh, born uh, with fatal terminal um, syndromes. And so she went through a lot of suffering and loss. Um, but God has gifted her as a, a wonderful Bible teacher. And so um, I've read uh, quite a few of her books, her Bible study books. Um, right now I am doing a Bible study with uh, some other uh, ladies affected by disability on, it's a study on the book of Job that also tells Nancy Guthrie's personal story interwoven through it. Oh. Um, and then there's a, um, you know, a study guide that we're going through together. Uh, when we get together. The book is called Holding On to Hope. And uh, her, her first daughter who died uh, was named Hope. And so um, that's the book I'm going through right now with some friends. <clears throat> she also has a 365-day devotional called The One-Year Book of Hope. That is phenomenal. Uh, anybody who's grieving or um, experiencing suffering or disability, of any sort, this is a really good daily devotional, um, full of really sound and deep theology, but it's written in a way that makes it easy. Like this book on Job, uh, you could sit down and read it in one sitting. It's so readable and it makes Job really accessible um, and understandable. Another book I'm reading by her right now, because I never just read one book at a time. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm grabbing it so I get the title right. It's called What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps and What Really Hurts. Mm. So as somebody who uh, has ministered to other people affected by disability for many years, I'm always learning uh, how to do that better. And so I think this is a book uh, that helps, that will help me do that better. Um, you know, always learning, always growing. So I, I really, right now it's Nancy Guthrie's books that are really speaking to me. Cool. I'm God speaking to me through her. Well, yeah. <laughs> so how does God's presence in your life make a difference in your life right now? Like, Well, I think his indescribable peace really makes a difference in my life right now. I know with the coronavirus and the political unrest, um, so many of my friends who are not believers are very frightened and, you know, um, who wouldn't be, right? Because there's so many scary things that are going on in our world right now. But I know that because God has given me this peace through the Holy Spirit who lives in me, 
that I don't have to be afraid of the future or the what ifs or what's happening in our world because I know who's in control. And I've seen this, I've seen it on Facebook, you know, um, a lot of my friends who are not believers are just living in fear. And, you know, they post about it all the time. And, and my friends who are believers, most of them have this piece about life because they have this biblical worldview of that God is in control and nothing's going to happen uh, that he has not allowed talking about the book of Job that I'm going through right now too. Yeah. And so I think, I think his peace is, and, and I have to, I have to back up and say that I have not always had, as a believer, I have not always had God's peace. Um, I went through about six years of horrendous, clinical anxiety um, because of the medical trauma I've been through with um, two of my kids. And um, I think maybe some hormonal changes that were going on in my body and things like that. So it wasn't that I wasn't holding on to God and trusting and believing him. It, I really think it was a medical issue, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was a mental health issue. It was, it was a horrendous time that I went through. And so I do not take this peace that God has given me right now through coronavirus and political unrest. I do not take that for granted. And I am very, very grateful for it uh, because if, if I was going through coronavirus and political unrest with what I was like, you know, a few years ago with my mental health issues of anxiety, I would be a basket case right now. So I am very grateful to God for giving me this, this rest in him and this trust and this peace. Very cool. Um, well, I think that's it. Is there anything else you want to say that I haven't asked about? I don't There's think so. Probably I'm, not, grateful but... <laughs> I'm grateful that God brought you into my life um, and that we've gotten to know you and become friends with you. And um, your laugh is amazing. I love your laugh. So <laughs> I think you should uh, record it and send it to me for my, my um, ringtone on my phone. <laughs> Yeah, for my call <laughs> to you. <laughs> me laughing. Well, Anne has me as a jungle sound. I can't figure that one out. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why am I a jungle sound? Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, our Johnny and Friends years have brought us such dear, sweet friends. Um, it's a time we will always treasure. And we're not going away from Johnny and Friends. We hope to still attend as a family and maybe volunteer mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, we deeply love the ministry and uh, it's just a new season for us. Uh, we're not going anywhere though. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Good to talk to you, Shelly. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.